Hey, welcome to BIB Today, the daily business news show from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIB.com. I am BIB reporter Tyler Orton, and this week we are focused on the future of education, be it from reskilling adults to the new reality of K through 12 classrooms. And with us today to offer some insights, it is Terry Mooring. She's president of the BC Teachers Federation. Terry, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Tyler. Well, so we're discussing the future of education all week, and I think there are two different things that we need to consider. You know, what does the future of education look like in the short term, and what do things look like in the long term? And and I'm curious, though, we're looking towards September. It's a month away until uh, children are supposed to return to the classroom. Uh, We had the education minister. He pushed back that start date by two days. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your concerns right now with kind of this return to large, you know, numbers of mm-hmm. students going to the classroom? So I was happy to hear that um, there was going to be some orientation time in the first week. Uh, we're in a pandemic. No one has ever returned to school in a pandemic, and so we have to make sure that you know we get it right. Uh, so what's going to happen in the first couple of days is there will be time. For health and safety orientation uh, and training that is really necessary for the educators and it also gives school staffs um, so administrators uh, support staff and teachers the time to come together get that training um, take a look at the logistics at each school because that will be very different um, with a full return of students it will be very different from the way it was in june also and um, so it's really important that that time is given to get, get getting it right and then the thursday and friday when students do come back it'll be important for those school teams to be all training students um, together Uh, so that everyone understands what is expected. There's going to be really important to clearly communicate with families as well. Because, you know, the reality is many of our students haven't been back to school since we had to move to emergency remote learning in the spring. And so they're going to see a very big difference. um, And they're going to see that there's a lot of uh, safety protocols in place that they haven't experienced before. And so it's really important that everyone understands what they are, that they're very carefully taught, and adhere to throughout the school year. You know, it is interesting because the education minister said a few weeks ago that if you look at the larger schools, they may not be able to facilitate cohorts of 60 to 120 students that we're uh, speaking of. Um, So he suggested there might be kind of that kind of return to some remote learning in some situations. How did that go when we had that going on uh, last spring? It just, from the teacher's perspective, it's not going to be quite the same, but what's your takeaway from some of the changes that we did have to implement? So in the spring, we were in an emergency situation. And what ended up happening when students came back to school is about 35 to 40% of students came back to school around the province. And so teachers in reality had the majority of their class still learning remotely. And so uh, they would be teaching four days a week and then supporting um, their students that were learning remotely for the rest of the time. And it's not hard to see that that would not be sustainable. However, that doesn't mean that a hybrid model itself is not sustainable. It just means what we had to do because we were in an emergency situation was not sustainable. And so it's per- you're perfectly, we're perfectly able to plan for a hybrid system um, if we, if need be, 
um, that is sustainable, where some teachers are dedicated to the online learning and some teachers are dedicated to the in-class learning. Um, that's not really what's planned for September, um, though it was recognized right from the start that some of the larger high school, and I'm hearing even high schools, and I'm hearing even maybe some of the mid to large high schools are going to have some difficulty implementing the high the uh, learning groups model or the cohort model. And so the reality is that we'll still probably have some students doing some of their learning at least in a hybrid way online. Um, and we knew that from the start. The other issue is depending on what happens with the pandemic, you know, we also are entering the school year knowing that there's a possibility that we could move into another stage. We hope that doesn't happen. But if it is, it means that, you know, hybrid learning uh, will happen. And so what the difference, I think, uh, between what happened in June and what should be happening next year is we have the opportunity to plan it in a way that it is sustainable. What, what are the challenges, though, that educators are, are facing, though, when trying to implement something uh, such as this hybrid model? Well, we saw, you know, there's there are a number of challenges with that. One is, um, first of all, making sure that all students have, have access to technology and to um, the internet, uh, that we ran into that issue as well. Um, the other thing is that not all, not all students learn uh, well, well in that way. So what we saw in the spring was a variety of methods used in order to teach uh, students and not just relying on online learning. And so that those are some of the challenges. Um, of course, you know, when you're in a pandemic and it's not a normal situation with online learning, um, you know, we saw families being really uh, finding it, you know, difficult sometimes to manage this. So in other words, we have families that also were working from home, perhaps with one computer. And so just um, being able to um, dedicate that time and find that time for students to have access to technology was challenging. Teachers also had to really adjust to family schedules. And so, you know, it, the hours of work became uh, very different than it is when students are normally in school. So teachers did all that, of course, because we care deeply about our students and everyone knew we were in an emergency situation. But again, you know, there are ways to plan it. Um, I know that uh, school districts did lend out a lot of technology to families uh, over the spring. Um, and that certainly helped, but it didn't meet the needs. Um, and we also had families that, you know, were having a lot of challenges with perhaps layoffs or medical issues, you know, due to illness. And um, so, you know, there were there was a really strong mental health component, too, that we were really concerned about uh, in terms of our students and how they were coping during this really difficult time without direct access to counselors. Now, all that's possible. Like, we're able to provide counseling services for students and all the other supports necessary um, if we do need to go to a hybrid model. It, again, just all takes really careful planning. Looking down the road, you know, uh, I, I wish we had a crystal ball about when we can figure out when the, this pandemic is going to have things, you know, uh, somewhat back to the normal that we all know. But do you think that there is potential for, as we learn about how we kind of have to interact in kind of this new era, it could have long-term impacts. There could be some changes coming down, you know, that will be still in place, you know, five, 10 years down the road. Absolutely. And so perfect example of that is, is school cleanliness. So what we saw over the last, you know, couple of decades is uh, we saw education funding um, 
declining and, uh, and schools being dramatically underfunded. Schools are still underfunded. Um, what happened in the past was that there were, um, you know, districts had to make difficult decisions. And some of those decisions were revolved around, you know, cutting custodial time um, and really scaling back on, on school cleaning. And we had a lot of concerns about that. Um, that, that will no longer be acceptable. Is dedicate some funding to hire additional custodial staff, you know, you know, 30, 40 years ago, um, there were daytime custodians. It, it was something that was normal. Um, and that will have to come back. Uh, you know, I know that school districts right now are organizing themselves so that they do have daytime custodians, so high-touch surface areas can be regularly cleaned. Um, these are things that we're going to have to be in place. There's other things we're going to have to look at as well, though. Um, you know, we're going to have to look at the reality of, of, of you know, maybe this pandemic um, will at some point subside. But I think we're in a new reality where, you know, there could be more things come up that are health related that impact all of us. And so I think we need to be really looking ahead at school designs, um, size of classrooms, um, the number of students in each classroom. Uh, right now, we're concerned about classroom density because we know one of the big, biggest um, preventative measures for this virus for, um, you know, protecting yourselves against the virus is physical distancing. And our schools are not set up for physical distancing. And so those are the things that we need to take a look at going forward, hand washing stations. We have so many classrooms, either with without sinks or without running water. Um, and so these are, these are the measures that need to be put in place. At one time, schools were designed all to have hot and cold running water and soap dispensers. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case uh, moving forward. We have portables that, that don't have sinks and don't have you know, access to soap and all that kind of thing. So we have to really take a look at our school facilities and, and uh, how appropriate they are in terms of you know, living within a pandemic and going forward, you know, just protecting ourselves. I think we'll always, from here on in, I think we'll always be much more aware of the measures that we need to take, frequent hand washing. I think wearing uh, masks is going to be with us for a long time as well. <clears throat> We've seen that in other uh, countries where it just becomes part of your new normal. So I think there's lots of things we need to consider when we look at schools and school facilities, ventilation systems. Um, you know, we're, we're right now um, calling on government to really do an analysis of the ventilation and HVAC systems in, uh, in schools. We have schools that, you know, don't have windows, don't have windows that open um, and have old ventilation systems. And so, you know, um, I could go on, but there are a lot of things that we need to take a look at in terms of facilities that our children go to every day and spend, you know, a significant amount of their lives in. What about access to equipment? Because look, it's been a while, I'll admit it, since I was in, you know, K-12 classes, but I always recall, you know, teachers would have to share a lot of equipment going yeah. on. How is that going to be practical in a situation like this where, you know, you have uh, a novel coronavirus uh, mm -hmm. that, that still admits, uh, amid, amid us? And that's something that really has to be rethought as well. Um, so school manipulatives, when you look at kindergarten classrooms, toys, um, you know, in June, teachers were able to kind of bundle up uh, groupings of materials for students so they didn't have to share. 
Um, these are, you know, washing hands before uh, using equipment, washing hands after using equipment. You know, there's some really uh, realities here that mean that, you know, schools are going to have to really change. There's going to have to be more of an investment of school materials, classroom manipulatives, um, so that students don't have to share with um, different classes or amongst, you know, groups of students. So this is a really big rethinking of, of how we do things in education. And I don't think it's going to be temporary. Uh, certainly we'll be living in some sort of staged education um, plan for some time, you know, the, the, the majority of next year or, or the entirety of next year and perhaps beyond. So, you know, we're uh, at the Federation, we're not looking at this in the short term. We're looking at what needs to be in place and sustainable over the long term. And how can we rethink how we do things? You know, a lot of school buildings have been um, approved recently. This government has put a big investment in infrastructure, uh, including building new schools and renovating schools. I think we need to put a new eye to how we do that um, in this new reality. I get the sense from you, and I, don't let me put words in your mouth or anything like that, but there is perhaps an opportunity, a silver lining almost, uh, for there to be a large rethink about the way that we approach education in this province. Well, I think we certainly need to uh, take a look at our facilities, and I and I and I do. I, I think we'll have to really take a look at the priorities that we put in terms of education, um, and uh, and and do a big rethink of that. We know how important public public education is in our society, um, and how critical a role it plays in our communities. And so, you know, we've been long advocating for putting the appropriate investment into education that is necessary. And I think this, you know, pandemic has really highlighted how far we've fallen behind in terms of, of those measures. And, you know, this has happened uh, not in the short term, it's happened in the very long term, where we've had, you know, a, a lack of priority on education for decades. And so I appreciate that, you know, this government has uh, put some investment, uh, especially for this year coming up, uh, into cleaning. There needs to be more investment into additional teachers um, because, you know, we are anticipating that classroom density will have to be reduced. That means hiring new teachers. And I will also say that what another big difference is going to happen uh, next year and into the future is that right now, uh, teachers regularly go to school when they're not feeling great. I've been a teacher for 20 years. I taught grade seven for 20 years. I can't tell you the number of times that I went to school when I was not feeling very good because it's quite labor intensive to prepare your classroom for somebody else. When you teach grade seven, that's always a challenge. Um, and also there's the, the availability of a, a teacher teaching on call to replace you is also a reality and it's a problem. And so going into next year, we're going to have a zero tolerance for, for teachers coming to work ill. That means we're going to be reliant, reliant on teachers teaching on call a lot more than we were. And we are already, before this pandemic happened, in an incredible teacher shortage where we don't have enough TTOCs. And some of the smaller communities throughout the province and rural communities throughout the province are heavily reliant on retired teachers to do that work. In a pandemic scenario, I'm anticipating that a lot of those teachers won't be um, taking the risk to do that work anymore. And so, you know, it, it's going to be critical that BC also engages in a serious retention and recruitment initiatives um, so that we have more teachers available. Uh, as I say, it was already an issue before the pandemic struck. 
it's going to become even more of an issue as we move forward into the new year. You know, to your fellow teachers, I know you guys have also done surveys as well, but what is the sentiment around the teacher community about kind of plans moving forward, especially in the short term? So what uh, teachers, teachers are very highly concerned about health and safety, of course, that's top of mind. And so they're right now um, needing to hear all the details that are in place. And it, we're in a difficult situation where um, there's planning that's happening right now. Um, when we ha heard the announcement in July, the surprise was a full return of students. Originally, stage two. Um, would have seen the return of all students from kindergarten to grade seven, but only a partial return for secondary students. So planning for a full return of students um, is a whole, it was a whole game changer um, because it, it's a whole different perspective. And then we also learned about the cohort model as well. And so now we're sort of taking the cohort model, which was developed by the medical community and, and translating it to an education setting. And so there's a lot of work underway. So there's provincial working groups that the ministry has established. We have 25 teachers on those work groups. They're doing their work um, in a steering committee. And so they've developed a framework. That framework has gone to school districts, a, a health and safety framework. And uh, they're continuing to develop materials and resources that school districts will need to do their planning. And school districts have begun to take a look at the changes that they need to implement in order to facilitate a full return of students. Um, this is going to be especially challenging at the secondary uh, school level, where 100% return, return of students and using a cohort model means that a lot of districts will have to rethink um, how secondary schools are scheduled. And so they are looking at, in many cases, having to redo scheduling and changing the way that they teach students to a semester system or even a quarterly system. And that means students are taking fewer numbers of courses at any given time. And those courses are completed over a shorter period of time. And that's to kind of manage the reduction of the number of students that have interactions with each other. So you can imagine the logistical challenges of that um, across 60 school districts in this province. That planning is underway right now. Um, and then at the end of August, August 26th, school districts will have to have all of their school planning, the health and safety planning in place and submit those plans to government. Um, so it's going to be a little bit of time before teachers and families get all the details that they need to, they'll need in order to really feel comfortable. What I'm hoping happens along the way is both the province and school districts really clearly communicate with both the education community and with uh, families about what the planning is and what plans have been made so that people can get a real sense of what it's going to look like even before it's all complete. Um, because I think that will really help to, you know, calm people down. Um, people are very uh, understandably concerned. Um, families are concerned and so are teachers and support staff. So the more information that can be shared clearly uh, the, the, as early as possible, the better. So, um, you know, that's why I was glad to see yesterday the announcement around the start of school happen because families and teachers will need some time, um, but especially families uh, will need time to plan, you know, accordingly. So it, they needed to have at least this amount of notice.
Uh, Terry, I, I think it's interesting to think that we're discussing this just before, you know, uh, students and teachers are going to be returning. I want to talk to you in about two or three months and we'll figure out like how things have been going. Because I think things are yeah. going to change very swiftly uh, as we found out so far. But in the meantime, I, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much, Tyler. That's Terry Maureen. She is president of the BC Teachers Federation. And that's it for the show today. Go to BIV.com for more interviews and more stories there. Until next time.